0: Dear listener, salaam and greetings from Prashanti Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12:30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami. And today's episode was first broadcast live on 5th February 2015. Have a listen please.
1: Offering a most humble pranam at Bhagavan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's afternoon satsang. This is Prem from Team Radio Sai and with me is Arvind and we are coming from our studios at Prashantinilam. As we always do, it is this fortnight in which we dwell on the beautiful name and the lovely story of Lord Shri Rama. So as always, before we begin, let us start by ruminating over the wonderful name of the Lord.
2: Shri Raghavam Dasharatatma jamah frameyam Sita patim Raghukulam mayarat the first time
3: Ram, dear listeners, we begin by offering our most humble salutations at the lotus feet of our dear Swami and of Lord Sri Hanuman who is present always, wherever and whenever the glory of His Lord Ram is sung. We seek to derive inspiration to become like dear Hanuman for our dear Sai Ram. I am Arvind from Team Radio Sai and yes, Ram Prem, it's a pleasure to again delve on this beautiful name of Shri Rama. Even as, you know, this shloka was being played, Sri Raghavam, I was just thinking that there's one phrase there, you know, Mm -hmm. Nishachara Vinashakaram. It means Lord Shri Rama is the one who destroys the Nishacharas. And Nishachara in the direct sense, it means the demons, the Rakshasas. And we know that Lord Shri Rama did that throughout his sojourn on earth, where he killed innumerable demons and Rakshasas. Mm -hmm. But if we break up the word Nishachara, Nisha means night and chara means one who roams about in the night. The Rakshasas, they say, gain all their strength at night and that is when they roam about. But if we go a little deeper, we realize that when they say hey, night, the darkness being referred to there is the darkness of ignorance. Agnana timirandhasya, as they say in that shloka, you know. It is the darkness of ignorance. And so, Lord Sri Rama is the one who brings the light of wisdom, the light of Atmic wisdom to all of us and illumines us. And in that sense also, he is the Nishachara Vinashakaram, that is one who destroys those who are roaming in the darkness in the sense of Rakshasas, also in terms of conferring wisdom and light. That becomes more evident as we go through the Ramakathara Savahini, because we can see the Ramayana at different levels, at the physical level, at the mental level, at the metaphysical level, at the spiritual level. The Adhyatma Ramayana, the normal, you know, the story Ramayana. So therefore, it is a beautiful experience every fortnight and it is indeed a privilege and pleasure for all of us to be able to partake of this beautiful nectarous story, the Ramakatha Savahini.
1: Very true and uh, even as we are going through this, as we have mentioned this before, the story of Ramayana is not new to us, especially being children brought up in India. We've really, it's been part of our staple diet, Ramayana mm. and Mahabharata. But even having said that, when you keenly look at the story, when you really with you know, magnifying glasses go through the story as written by Swami, one thing is of course the unmissable parallels that you can see between Swami's life and the story of Ramayana. But at the same time, it also gives you a beautiful perspective because... Oftentimes the question is asked is, if really the Lord can come in a human form, would he keep his activities confined to one kingdom, one land or one set of people? Mm. Shouldn't his work be global? Shouldn't his work be in such a manner that everybody in the entire world recognizes him as an embodiment of divinity? Mm. That's also a question which many people ask about Swami. Because uh, someone was telling, I think you were telling, right, when you went to the passport office, They ask you, who is Satya Sai Baba? And that's in Hyderabad. That's in Hyderabad, which is like the capital of the state in which (laughs) Puttaparthi is in. Hmm. You know, that is the thing which sometimes is striking. People ask that if he is really God as you claim him to be, then how is he not a global phenomenon? Though he is one, but as you said, there can be cases of darkness being right at the feet of the candle itself. Hmm. So one wonders if he is really a divine incarnate and we all know that God is one. So why isn't he a phenomenon which is like you know, one day, why can't he appear on the sky and everybody can see him and recognize and honor him as the god we all pray to. But when you go through the Ramayana, that's the striking feature of the thing. In fact, not only Ramayana, be it, you know, the Krishna avatar or the other avatars, if you even just look at the Hindu tradition, the Sanat and Dharma tradition, the, the 10 avatars, all the avatars, their effect when they were there was always only local. Hmm. You
4: know,
1: their effect... Of that avatar, of that incarnation, has always been local, but the impact has been global. What has happened after that incarnation, the impact mm. has always been global. Mm. And uh, we can give many explanations for that, but I think that is the way it is. <laughs> you know, all explanations are trying to understand why God did it that way, but this is how He has always done it. So, if we have the doubt about Swami, like if He's really God, if He's really divine, why wasn't He known globally? I think this is how it has been throughout.
3: Exactly. Uh, maybe Krishna had some kind of a little, not global, but a nationwide at least. In right. the Indian subcontinent, he was known in different kingdoms. Yeah, Rama even less and the avatars before. Yeah, even what less. about
1: even Vamana or somebody? Like, <laughs> no, I think nobody would have known. In fact, even we, as people who have accepted Vamana as an avatar, I don't think we know the story of Vamana before he came into the court of Bali. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We know the avatar only from when he steps into the the court and he does that, uh, you know, beautiful act. I
3: I did not know the details of Vamana avatar till I came to Sai's Darbar. (laughs) It's thanks (laughs) to Swami that I got to know Vamana's story. You know, it takes me on a slightly divergent note, Prem, but all the same, I feel it's important that we stress it now. The need for these stories to be told, you know, some people say, you know, after all, it's mythology, it's fiction. But do you want your child to grow up with this kind of fiction? Or with, you know, whatever the latest cartoons, I don't even know, Pokemon. Do you want your child to grow up with Pokemon? Yes, Pokemon is fiction, Ramayana is fiction. What does Ramayana imbibe in us? You know, I feel we are in a sense lucky, possibly we are the last generation to have had the privilege of being schooled into the Ramayana and Mahabharata, even as we were children by our grandparents. Today, forget Ramayana Mahabharata. I don't know if many children have the privilege of knowing their grandparents as well. Because this is the age of highly nuclear families. And families splitting even before they become families. So, in such an age, grandparents themselves are a distant dream. There are specialized old age homes where you can invest in. And you can go and start living your life there. But coming back to the point, so no longer are these stories told and... When asked, everybody justifies it by just saying that, you know, after all, it's mythology and no problem. I see it in the Indian variant of that, who wants to be a millionaire program? Mm -hmm. You know, complex questions, the nuances of some song in a movie, people know it. But you ask whether Sita is Rama's wife or Lakshmana's wife and people want helplines. They want to ask the crowd or they want to use an helpline option to get the answer. And they say, after all, it's a fiction story, so how does it matter? But this fiction story has inspired generations after generations. And this is what I can say with conviction based on my own life experience of what I have seen little and based on what Swami has said. Just bring up two children, one on Pokemon diet, one on the Ramayana diet. (laughs) And within 10 years you will see not a world but a cosmos of difference between the two children. Because that is why it is said it is the Adhyatma Ramayana. Unknown to us at an age when children just accept You know, recently I met two children. And for them, Pokemon is as real as the elephant in the zoo. I mean, they have no doubts about it. So you want them to have faith in something like a Pokemon cartoon. I am just using Pokemon as one sample because it is one of the most popular cartoons. Wouldn't you want them to have like that in Rama? In the ideal that Rama stood for. Because though Rama might be, even if you consider Rama as a mythical character, which Sai devotees, I am sure, and those who follow Swami will know it is not because Swami has stressed that Rama has existed. Let us say you consider Ramayana or even the Mahabharata as a mythical, mythological story. Mm -hmm. But what lessons it teaches? What phenomenal lessons? Swami would therefore say why do you teach Baba black sheep? (laughs) And Swami would say, black sheep, you don't even teach them about the white sheep, you teach them about black sheep. Instead of them, why don't you teach them shlokas? mantras? Why don't you teach them stories of the Lord? which are so inspiring and therefore I feel it is great importance that as adults or as parents or as grandparents, we teach our children this, but to teach our children this, you know, Prem, what is the requisite? We ourselves should know the story at least. So in the multiple multimedia that the world is throwing to us, let us not get lost and forget these beautiful stories. In the worst case scenario, they are beautiful stories with phenomenal insights And great idealism. And in the best case scenario, this is the history of the universe. So, in either case, it makes a lot of sense that we read it and we propagate it and teach it to our children as well.
1: And sometime back, I was uh, listening to a talk by a devotee from the United States. He is a very interesting story, a very interesting person too. I'm sure That was one of the most unique talks on Swami I ever heard. Hmm. I think his name is, if I've not got it wrong, it's Michael McCartney. He's an African American. Very interesting story, his story itself. He comes as for a profession, for the world. He does acupuncture or something like that. But openly he says that he was a drug peddler. Hmm. And that's how he comes to Swami and uh, he says that just a couple of glimpses of spiritual experiences that he has with Swami, mm. he realizes that what spirituality can give, even the best of drugs cannot give you. Because he mm. says, I got the, you know, the feeling of high and the feeling of being at peace at yourself and being in a state of tranquility. He said, when you can get it by taking the amritam, which comes out of Swami's picture, I felt that I don't need these things anymore.
3: And I, I, you know, know he know, says, you right, that they say the Sanskrit term for wine and liquor is somarasa. And Swami says, when you have Rama Rasa, who will want the Soma Rasa? Absolutely. That's exactly what
1: his case. And he says, the relevance of bringing him up in this discussion is, eventually he becomes a professional storyteller. Hmm. So he does nothing but tell stories. So in this talk, at the end of it, they ask him that, why did you become a storyteller? What is so special about telling stories? Hmm. He says, because we don't realize The culture of every community is actually encapsulated in their stories. And much more is passed on to the other generation through stories than by telling them what the culture and customs are. Hmm. And if you look at it, you know, many times when watching the TV or watching a movie, I feel this. You know, you have a scene where the son wants to marry a particular person and the father says no. And it's like the biggest, you know, hurdle in, in that situation. But looking at it from an absolutely modern perspective, what is the problem? Hmm. Here's an individual wanting to do something. How can another individual say no to it? Hmm. It's his or, his or her life. But viewing it from our cultural perspective, we feel that yes, I mean, that's the climactical <laughs> the situation there. Hmm. I think that is what has been passed through stories like Rama and Mahabharata. You know, over and over again, no amount of explanations can sway Lord Rama away from this choice that he has made because he's saying that my father has told me. This is a word which my father has given and it's my bound and duty to follow it it might be the most ideal situation but this has been presented to us in a form of a story so in the back of our mind we know that obedience to our parents is like part of the fabric of this culture you know we may deviate from it based on you know how good or how obedient we are but we know that this is the standard I think that's what happens when these stories are passed on from generation to generation
3: exactly Prem you know the problem is nowadays we want obedience to parents but I don't care for the Ramayana. Why? Why should I care about the Ramayana? I mean, <laughs> I want the benefits of that, but I, you know, take great pleasure and pride in putting it down. In the name of science maybe, in whatever be the logical, rational behind me putting it down or not giving it importance, I will definitely want all the benefits that such a story can bring and I would love a son as ideal as Rama. I would love a daughter as ideal as Sita. And that is what Swami used to say. You know, in the, in the Telugu song that Swami right. sings, he says that everyone says that we want a son like Rama. We want a daughter like Sita. So everybody wants that. So <laughs> I feel children become what they're exposed to. If we want them to be like Rama, we have to expose them to Rama. Not to video games, war, terror and other kind of sensual things. So especially children, because children are so impressionable and So dear listeners, after uh, this kind of an elaborate introduction, which I am sure neither Prem or I had planned it, we now reach that part of the Ramayana story where the entire Ayodhya, especially the youth, you know that is the ideal youth, uh, the youth who run behind God and that is what was happening at Ayodhya. The entire youth from the town of Ayodhya, from the city of Ayodhya, were following the chariot which was being driven by Sumantra with Lakshmana, Rama and Sita on board and they are all following and telling Rama, take us with you, take us with you. We want to come with you because there is no life without you. At that time, you know Rama tries telling them, he says see, your parents are aged at home and they need your support. It's not right that all the youth of the kingdom leave and come like this. So go back and serve your parents. See the beauty of this. What Rama says is also right. What the youth say is also right. The youth then say that Rama, our parents are saying that because of their age, they are not able to run behind the chariot. They are bemoaning their fate that they don't have the strength in their legs to run behind your chariot. So they have told us that, go children, what we are not able to do, you do it. And they are the ones who have told us to come behind you. So therefore Rama, you can't tell us to turn back. And even Rama is dumbstruck. As Swami writes, Rama is also dumbstruck. He is just moved. And Rama feels that the sacrifice that I am making by giving up my kingdom for the sake of my father's word pales into insignificance at the sacrifice that the youth of this kingdom are making. It's so, so beautiful because I remember with many students, Hmm. Swami would say the same thing. He would say, No, no, don't stay with Swami. Go find out what your parent wishes. Do what they say. And then the student would say, "Swami, my parents want me to be with you and do what you say swami so so therefore nothing you know you can 't bring the parents in picture to use them as an obstruction between you and me, and in such instances, many times Swami too would be dumbstruck and tongue tied and he would have nothing to say so such a beautiful scene it is that happens and so Rama is trying to convince the youth to go back but the youth are saying no this is our parent desire and since we worship our parents we want to be with you
1: absolutely you know that's what they say they said if they were able bodied like us they would have followed too Hmm. and since they were not able to follow they kind of pleaded with us to you know take on this I mean these are the subtleties of the story you know we all know the ramayana we all know that you know he had four sons and they were married to these four princesses and ravana was killed i mean that story is known but these are the things which actually carry that culture forward in the in the form of a story and the role parents play i mean it's so subtle the acknowledgement which comes from lord rama also you know this is a sacrifice which is far greater than mine because i am bound you know by the word of my father and of course there is that hidden mission which is there which i'm following and and i know exactly what i'm doing you know As an avatar, he has the full knowledge of the whole play. But thrown into ignorance, when you don't know what is coming in front, you don't know the drama is going to turn you back away. You don't know that, you know, this is not going to be your future. But still at that moment, when you don't know what is in front of you, you still make that choice of choosing God over the other things. I think these are the very beautiful things. I think sometime, just today, yesterday, I was listening to a story. Mm -hmm. I think it just has to come here about how the role parents play in bringing up children. This was about an I.E.S. officer who is mm. currently serving a, about a 44-year-old. A very upright and very humble officer given his immense knowledge. So when somebody was asking him, like, how are you so grounded? Because you're so knowledgeable, you're, you're in a position of power. How are you so grounded and you're so strong in your values? So he said, see, that is the upbringing one goes through when he lives in the villages and the t- small towns of this country. And he described a scene which he saw, which was so heartwarming. Mm. No, it seems he was... Uh, in one particular small town he was traveling this was when he was a student Mm. and he found that there was a small mob which was vandalizing a few shops okay apparently some riots had broken out Mm. and a group of mobsters were just going and ransacking some of the shops in that area and they were even breaking into shops and taking away tvs and you know huge electronic gadgets so he saw that in that group there was a small boy Okay, and this boy forgot about what all was happening. He just found that people are going and taking things and they're able to take it away without having to pay anything. So mm. he said, why not I also go and grab something? But the crowd was too violent. and He couldn't get into it. So finally, he manages to get into one of the crockery shops and he grabs a couple of ceramic plates and jubilantly runs out of the shop. <laughs> okay, mm. So he's also ransacked the, this one. So this person is very curious what this boy is doing with it. So he follows him. So he sees this boy running into a, you know, not even a hut. It's about four sticks put together and there's a tarpaulin sheet which is put and that's his house. That's how poor that boy is. So imagine he runs into that house so jubilantly that he's managed to grab these uh, plates, ceramic plates. He runs into his mother and you know, this person was saying that they might not even have food to eat. And you can imagine the joy this boy had when he could lay his hands on something so exquisite like those ceramic plates. And he runs to his mother. He sees this whole scene. The mother comes out there and he explains the whole scene. He says, this is what happened and I got these plates. And you know, what is the response of the mother? The mother says, are you my child? Were you born to me? And she says, how dare you do something like this? Mm. And she looks up into the heavens and she says, God, what sin have I done that my son has done this today? Mm. And this boy is like aghast. He's saying, you're not able to make any sense of it. And just then the father comes out, the mother describes the whole scene. She says, this is what this boy has done. And the father looks at him and says, As long as you can even put your hands together, you beg and eat, but never do this. And he says, take it away. Don't even bring it into the house. So he says, you know, these are the values which, you know, such values in the depths of poverty. This is what
3: really stands for our culture. This is what enriches us actually.
1: Absolutely. And I think these are the things, you know, when you see it is not just the fatherly love that Dasharatha had for Rama or the kind of dedication Rama had for his father. But in every small character, this is there. Even in the small stories, in the bylines of the Ramayana, you, you can find these values enshrined.
3: You know, I remember my own mother, Prem, re- in When I was in grade 11, when I got the chance to join Swami's school, mm-hmm. I remember her very clearly, distinctly. She called me aside and she said, See, Arvind, from today onwards, it's not that you are not my son, but you belong to Swami more than you belong to me. It's just that Swami had given you to me. You know, you were like my son for some time. It's not that I'm disowning you, but you belong to Swami. So I said, okay. So she said, so therefore, in future, if I express any desire to you and tell you, Arvind, do this or do that, please promise me that you will remind me, saying that, Amma, Mother, you have given me to Swami. So therefore, my first priority is Swami. And I will do what Swami says. And if at all, you know, my mother told me that, if at all, what Swami has told you is, coming in conflict with what I have told you. Don't even think for a second. Just discard what I have told you and listen to what Swami has said. And I feel, Prem, that at that point there was nothing logical. I just got very moved and I said, Mother, what is this you are speaking? She also had tears in her eyes. She said, no, no, this is what I wanted to promise me. Will you promise me this? And I said, okay. Sometimes I feel after that, when, you know, people say that, wow, your dedication to Swami or your devotion to Swami, I feel it was not something that I inculcated consciously, by putting efforts. It's just that my love towards my mother and it's a mixture of so many things and I feel it just happened. And see, these are the things that happen when parents inculcate it in children. It just comes off naturally and it's not as if you have to put in effort and you have to inculcate it. I really don't think that I have done something that ensures that I have a dedication or a devotion to Swami. I really don't know. I don't remember putting any effort to get devotion or dedication to Swami. But I'm sure all these have contributed. That's why many times when people say, you know, you have been so blessed. I feel, you know, that blessing is because of my mother. Because she pushed me towards Swami. And that is why I was reminded of my mother when I saw this example. Because I literally felt that she was feeling that I could not get a chance to be Swami student. So let my son get the chance. Just as these denizens of Ayodhya were telling their children that, you know, we are not able to run behind Rama. So you run behind Rama. In Swami's case, that was literally true. The devotees are not able to run, not only because of age, but because of rules. You are not able to run behind Swami. But students had that privilege. So I literally felt that that is what my parents did and I am very, very, very grateful to them for that. Because today I see, it's not that logically I accepted and I have gained. Without any logic or whatever, just out of reverence and faith in what they say, I have led my life that way and today I am seeing the benefits are so immense. And now I am seeing the benefit. Even logically, I am convinced that this is the way to live. So that is the importance of parents imbibing in children, and children listening to their parents. And all this happens when we propagate culture through such ennobling stories.
1: And even as you were describing about the promise, your mother asked me. I am just wondering whether we skipped one very important episode when mm. uh, the three of them leave Ayodhya. Okay the episode with Urmila and Lakshmana I I don't know whether we narrated it yes I think it's uh, right because it is one of the highlight episodes which Swami would speak of much later and uh, stories about some of the characters which are not much spoken about in other Ramayanas and Swami would speak of this so many times I think in the later summer courses 2000 2001 and the following ones Swami spoke so much about it you know he spoke about the characters who were not much spoken about like Urmila Mandodari and uh, the likes. Where he says that when Lakshmana decides that he is going to go along with Rama, Rama tells Lakshmana that you take the permission of your mother and your wife.
3: Exactly. And you know, this is very important. I don't know how we forgot it. But I think I can reason out why we forgot it. We are so strictly following the Ramkatha Rasavahini. Right, exactly. And in the Ramkatha Rasavahini, Swami has not mentioned about it. It's only in the summer course that Swami has mentioned. Dear listeners, this is very, very important. And we will be coming to that part we will just be taking a a flashback and we will come to this part of the beautiful scene of how Lakshmana takes his leave from Urmila, what Urmila tells Lakshmana, what Sumitra, the mother of Lakshmana tells Lakshmana. All this coming to you right after this little break. So, don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Enjoy this little break and a beautiful story coming up after that.
5: Samara, Mara, Masita Samara,
3: rewinding our story, you know, we spoke about how Rama takes the blessings from his mother Kausalya and he informs the other mothers. Now, Lakshmana, he has been permitted by Rama to accompany him and Lakshmana too goes to his mother and it's so beautiful. Swami says that Sumitra, her name itself suggests Sumitra means a good friend. She is a true friend because... She is an epitome of selflessness. And when Lakshmana goes, she is more than happy. She just blesses her son and says that it's indeed a privilege that you are getting to serve Rama. And she elicits a promise from Lakshmana saying that the way you would serve me, in the same manner you serve Rama. And Sumitra, Swami says, was so joyful and joyous that both her sons got the privilege of serving their elder brothers. That is, Shatrugna, as we shall see later on, stayed back and served Bharata. In fact, it was Shatrugna who ruled the empire of Ayodhya because we'll see how Bharata went off to Nandigrama and became a recluse. So, it was Shatrugna who ruled Ayodhya and uh, Lakshmana who served Rama throughout the exile. And you know, it just brings me back to one more point, in the mm-hmm. beginning, Sumitra used to feel bad. You know, Swami had mentioned that also in a discourse. Where Sumitra would feel bad that, see, Kausalya is the eldest queen, so by seniority her son gains respect. And Kaikeyi is Dasharatha's favorite queen and Dasharatha has also promised that her son will be made the emperor. So, she also has something to look forward to. What about my children? This was the worry that Sumitra had and how beautiful it is that Lakshmana became the most important person for Rama and her second son, the other twin, that is Shatrugna. Shatrugna actually ruled Ayodhya. It's not mentioned anywhere. But Sumitra's life shows us that selflessness, in selflessness, we actually gain more than what we give. I'm sure Sumitra would never have dreamt that it will be her, her youngest son, the youngest of the four, who would be ascending the throne in Ayodhya and on behalf of Bharata who is doing it on behalf of Rama but ultimately at a practical level it was Shatrugna who was the emperor and Lakshmana who was serving. And so that is what happens when Lakshmana goes to Sumitra and then Lakshmana of course has to take permission from his other half which is his wife Urmila and Swami describes that scene also beautifully that when he goes to his wife Urmila she is making a painting Apparently, she's a very, very good artist and a good painter. But when Lakshmana sees the painting, he's shocked. She's actually painting the scene
1: of the Pattabhishekam. That's what Swami says, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah, the scene of the Pattabhishekam meaning the coronation of Rama. But Lakshmana sees that there's a lot of paint splashed across the canvas. And he wonders what has happened. He says, Urmila, what is this? She says, what is so great in this painting getting ruined? the Pattabhi Shekham of Rama itself has got ruined. So, there is nothing wrong in this painting getting ruined and that is her way of having a creative outlet for her anguish and anger and the fact that she is upset. She doesn't portray it in any other sense other than just ruining the own painting that she has made. You know, Sometimes I feel, Prem, that if each one of us expressed our displeasure and anger in such a creative manner, the world would be much more harmonious and peaceful place to live in.
1: (laughs) And of course, you know, the other beautiful thing that she does is, when Lakshmana goes and tells her that, no, not only Rama is going, but even Mother Sita is accompanying him and I am going to go along with them. You know, he has permitted me to go along. And, you know, her emotion is, is also very surprising because she is very, very happy. She is immensely pleased that her husband is getting this opportunity. And that's when she actually extracts a promise from Lakshmana.
4: Hmm.
1: And she says for the next 14 years, you should not even think of me. And Swami would speak of this and say that which wife would ask such a boon from her husband? Saying that, you know, when you're away from me, now, any wife would say that when you go on a vacation, when you're going away on some work tour or something, you know, she would expect that you should call every day or every uh, couple of hours. But here was a wife who was sending off her husband taking from him the promise that you should not even for once think of me in these 14 years because if you think of me that might you know, obstruct the service that you are going to render to your lord she says that for the next 14 years you should not think of me and if possible even forget that you are married to me Wow. You know, and Swami even says that she decides that she will not leave the room in which she's doing a painting till Lord Rama and Lakshmana come back
3: 14 years later wow that is some sacrifice I mean It's mind-blowing, fantastic sacrifice. And an equally amazing thing is, Lakshmana is able to abide by her wishes. He actually, from that point on, actually forgets that Urmila is his wife. In fact, Lakshmana is married to the service of Rama and Sita. That is how we will see many such instances. That is how it happens. He is now in a new wedlock, sort of, because throughout we will see, throughout the exile, how Lakshmana is totally in sync with only serving Rama and Sita and no other thought and that is what happens actually where we had stopped the story you know about the youth of Ayodhya telling Rama that they don't want to go back. Rama decides that it's time to take some rest because not that he is tired but these people are tired everybody is running behind the chariot they are tired and if his chariot doesn't stop they are not going to stop. So that is when Lakshmana gets his first opportunity to serve They stop at a place, you know, there's a a city that comes there on the banks of a river, on the banks of the river Tamasa. Right. And again, Prem, I just felt this was very symbolic. Tamas meaning sloth and darkness, it's represented by color black. So I don't think it's coincidental that at night Rama stopped at river Tamas because uh, the next morning when it's time for ablutions, for ablutions they head towards the river Ganges later on in the journey mm-hmm. so it's very significant that for night they stop at river Tamas and rama says let's all lie down let's take rest and all the citizens they are happy and they are so fatigued that they fall asleep immediately i was reminded of how swami advised the students you know that every day is divided into three parts one part is sattvic one part is rajasic one part is tamasic the sattvic time should be used for inspirational things and for your sadhana that you do to connect with the Lord. The rajasik is the time for activity. This is when you have to do activity that sustains yourself, your family and your society. And tamasik is the resting time when you should sleep. And I remember in that discourse, it was an informal discourse, I think in Trai mm-hmm. Swami mentioned that 4am to 8am and 4pm to 8pm, these 8 hours in the day are the sattvic times when one should dedicate it to one's spiritual pursuits. And if we see the hostel schedule and the mandir schedule prem, it's so beautiful. These are the times for the morning and evening darshan respectively and the morning and evening prayers respectively. Right. And then Swami would say that morning 8 o'clock till evening 4 4 o'clock. This is the rajasic time. This is when you do activities that sustain you, your family and your society. And if we see the hostel schedule, corresponding to this was the time we spend at the institute at the university where we learn or if we extrapolate this, this to people in professional life this is a time to work right and then swami would say that night 8 o'clock till next day morning 4 o'clock these 8 hours are the tamasic time so this is the time for rest and sleep because it's sloth now we can understand how messed up sometimes we can get when we do Rajasic activities during Tamasic time, resulting is us in doing Tamasic activities, which is sleeping in the Sattvic times. You know, I sometimes feel that every morning, you know, I rise by 6.30, 6.45. I have almost wasted half of the morning Sattvic time. 4 to 8 is the Sattvic time. So, I definitely try hard to get up earlier, if possible, at least before 6 a.m. I think this is a very strong incentive because that is the most beautiful time and imagine Brahma the most spiritual time and we are deep in Tamas. So anyway, this was the thought that I got because Rama stops at river Tamasa and asks everyone to rest.
1: You know, we've all witnessed Swami giving discourses and all that and invariably Swami's discourse would be uh, on of course spiritual matters or some of these scriptural stories. Hmm. But I remember one very unique discourse we had, hmm. something like a semi-discourse, hmm. where Swami spoke for at least half an hour to 45 minutes only about sleep oh, and okay. the value of sleep. Hmm. Because it was on the day on which we had the, uh, the Ganesh Chariot procession. Hmm. So the night before, almost the entire hostel had uh, kept awake. You know, Hmm. making all the chariots and all that. And I I remember all of us were awake Hmm. because we were doing it. I think we had a very short notice that time. The festival and the immersion ceremony was just two days or one and a half days apart. Most of the time, it's only three days apart. Right. Hmm. So this was a time when it was, we had to avoid a Tuesday, which Swami said you should not do on a Tuesday. So we were doing it much earlier than we had anticipated. Hmm. So we were all in a rush and the whole night we had not slept. Hmm. So we came for the procession. the, The blessings were all over. We all went back. And after the immersion ceremony, we got word from the mandir that Swami is still not taking Arti, he's is waiting for all the boys to come back. Okay. So we all ran back to the mandir. And there Swami was at the portico waiting for all of us to come. And just standing there, and we were all around Swami. Swami gave a discourse for about half an hour on why sleep is very, very important. Hmm. And he said how it rejuvenates the body and how the body is like a machine. Hmm. And what all happens when you sleep and how your mind calms and it gets ready for the next day. Very unique discourse because Swami is all the while speaking only about how sleep is very important for life. Hmm. And of course, he also brought in about food. Swami spoke about food and sleep, how you should eat food. And Swami said, you're all young children, you do a lot of work, should eat a lot of food, you no know, dieting and all that. <laughs> Swami said, you should eat well and you should sleep well. And then Swami gave us an instruction. I think it was around uh, 5.30 or something in the evening. Swami said, after Aarti, all of you go back, I'll tell the warden, dinner will be served immediately eat your dinner and go straight to sleep. Hmm. So I remember going to sleep at 6.30 that evening. We all went back to the hostel, dinner was served early.
3: and 6.30 we all went to sleep. Because that was an instruction from Swami, imagine. (laughs) I remember an exactly similar situation, even once during, I think the first Gramseva, when Swami had asked us to serve, I think you were also part of it, Mm -hmm. asked us to serve in Hindupur and Kadri, And it had been an extremely difficult day. And Swami wanted to introduce one more town. One more time, I think before Hindupur. So Swami said, tomorrow I want you to do Hindupur also, but it has been a very challenging day today. So go and sleep early. Tomorrow you know, and exactly the same thing happened. I understand the reason why you brought this up. Exactly, while sleep is called tamasik, it's a tamasik activity. It is not as if we can do without it. Tamasik, rajasik, sattvik, all three are necessary and it is the interplay of these three gunas that make our day-to-day living. All three are important, but more important is when we do what. Right. In fact, yesterday I was reading uh, scientifically, Mm -hmm. you know, they say uh, when we sleep, the brain throughout the day keeps gathering inputs and it keeps having memories, you know, and it is apparently when we are asleep that the brain has free time because Mm -hmm. your eyes are shut, (laughs) your tongue is not tasting, your skin is not feeling, all your sense organs are shut. And it's an input-free time for the brain. Mm -hmm. So it starts rearranging all your memories that it has collected through the day. And it makes all the connections, everything. That's why one reason when you get up in the morning, you don't feel muddled. You feel very clear and good because it's all been sorted out. In fact, that is being proposed as one of the reasons why we dream. Mm -hmm. Because the brain is going on rearranging memories and different memories flash across. Mm -hmm. And so it is not surprising that you see in your dream many things that you see during the day. And that is why, you know, the scientists say that when people tell you, you should sleep over a problem, it's actually very sound advice. When something is bothering you a lot, you just sleep over the way the brain intelligently self-organizes things. By the time you get up, many times you'll have the solution ready. I
1: think it's something quite similar to what we do with our computers. We do something called defragmentation of the memory, right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, rearranging (laughs) Rearranging the the things. Rearranging
1: the memory so that it frees up. The memory. I think something is very similar to that. And,
3: and it boosts the functioning and working of the right. existing memory itself. Right. So that's what happens. So therefore, dear listeners, yes, though sleep is labeled as tamasic, it is not to any way undermine its importance in our lives. We have to sleep. In fact, we had read about a CEO who died at a very young age of 44 due to a heart attack, which they say was caused due to sleep deprivation. Oh. He used to sleep only for 4 hours every day, but in all other sense, he had a very, very healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. No fats, slim, well-built, he's muscular and he does yoga, he drinks enough water, everything, only that he doesn't sleep enough and that triggered a heart attack. So, going back to our ceiling on desire satsang, there's nothing like good and bad in the world. Everything is good within limits and beyond limits, everything becomes bad. Sleep more than the limit, it's bad. Sleep less than the limit, it's bad. Everything has its own proper time, place. The Deshakala and I feel Swami's uh, thumb rule will be a good way to start off with 4 to 8 in the morning 4 to 8 in the evening Sattvic 8 in the morning till 4 in the evening Rajasik 8 at night till 4 in the morning Tamasik
1: Coming back to the scene on the banks of this river Tamasa because when they wake up that's what these people feel that they have slept more than it was necessary for them to sleep because when they wake up that next morning they find that the Chadiat the Prince, his wife, and Lakshmana, and the Minister are missing. All of them are sleeping, but the scene is that the chariot is left so then they start blaming each other that you know we are so lazy that we slept over it, and you know we gave them the opportunity to slip away in fact it is because we were asleep, Lord Rama being a very compassionate one he didn 't want to wake us up he didn 't want to disturb us that 's why he left so they start uh, in introspection, feeling bad about how they've you know, given to the body's aches and, you know, the tiredness of the body was given to. But uh, even this, you know, it's about four or five lines in the Ramakhtara Swami. But the way Swami puts it, Mm. they say that we claim that He was our very life. But if it was true, how are we still living? And it's uh, so nostalgic, this very statement which was made because I remember 24th of April, 2011, after Swami left all of us physically, this was a very question which one of the boys asked. Because that was the time when we were singing all the songs for Swami. And when this song which Humko Tumse was sung, there this very line comes.
3: That you know, ki tum ho He says,
1: You are the water and we are the fish. Hmm. And we cannot live without
3: you. Neeru Leni
1: Right. And he said, That is the feeling we feel if you are not around us. Hmm. And he said, You know, for years we sang this. Now Swami is not here. But we are still alive. Which means we have been lying all this while. And you know, that's when one of the boys again joined that, which means if we are still alive, then Swami has not left us. Hmm. You know, that was the first thing which struck my mind when this thing came, because that is exactly what is the summation of the discussion they come to. Because they say that we have left him, he has, le- you know, because fact, of our sleep, he has you know,
3: gone away. Swami writes that the youth there, they say that what is the use of living? you know, they have not yet reached the ultimate conclusion that the alumni, the students reached, as you said. They are just feeling that Rama is the water, we are the fish. And if Rama is not there, we are supposed to die. So let us kill ourselves. Right. And they contemplate Atma Atmahatya Atma Hathya is a Sanskrit term for suicide. suicide. It's so beautiful. Atma means self and hatya means killing. Killing of the self. It's so beautiful. Swami writes, I don't want to ruin the beauty by speaking. I'll just read out that statement. Swami says, Why are we not bringing upon ourselves death, which will end sorrow? The people moaned. But soon they felt, that since the Atma in them is Rama, the act of Atma Hatya was unthinkable. So, Atma is Rama, so killing yourself is equivalent to killing Rama, killing the Lord. And so therefore, they said, that the maximum we can do is pray to destiny to take us off. But it is not right that we take our own life. Again I felt in such a beautiful manner so succinctly and so quickly Swami conveys that suicide is not justified in any context in any uh, this thing because Atma Hatya is like killing Atma and Atma is the Lord in us. Killing ourselves is equivalent to killing Swami. So therefore the citizens of Ayodhya dissuade each other from killing themselves and that is when one of them you know, suddenly jumps up and says hey look here. I can see chariot tracks. So they come upon this plan. They say, you know, it's so wonderful. Let us now just follow the chariot tracks. It will lead us straight to where Rama is. And that is when they start following the chariot track and suddenly see, they see that the chariot is headed back towards Ayodhya. Ayodhya. And they rejoice. They feel, wow, this is fantastic. Possibly Rama knows our heart's longings and desires and therefore he is headed back to Ayodhya. But then they see another track headed towards another direction. Then a third track headed in another direction. That is when they realize that Sumantra has taken the chariot in multiple circles around that region. So now there is no way to make out which is the actual direction in which the chariot had gone. At that moment feels very cruel and confusing but in retrospect, it's an act of compassion because Rama knows that they will do their best to follow him and therefore this had to be done. And I feel this is a wisdom that we should also learn in life. Sometimes we also feel that our life is going in circles and confusing and nowhere. That also is an act of compassion and blessing by the Lord. And seeing this, the denizens of Ayodhya return back to Ayodhya, crestfallen, with a fervent prayer on their lips that within the next two or three days, Rama should return, Rama should return. That is the only prayer in their hearts, that is the only desire in their minds, that their Rama should return.
1: And here the royal couple and Lakshmana and Sumantra, they drive on. And as you said, from the shores of the banks of the river Tamas, they reach the river Ganges. Yes. And uh, again, Swami beautifully describes the reverence which Lord Rama shows to the Ganges. The moment they come to the banks of Ganges, he gets down, he prostrates in front of the Ganga, and he starts. Swami says that it's at a town called Shringi Vera. Right, Shringi Vera. And he starts describing the virtues of the river Ganga. He says that the entire land is prosperous because of her virtues, because of the prosperity that she brings, and. In taking cue from Lord Rama, all the others to prostrate in front of the Ganges. And when this is happening, some of the boatmen who are there with their boats, they see this very weird sight because they see that there are three people dressed in the clothes of a mendicant, but they look like they are from a royal family. And of course, I'm sure Sumantra would have been in his royal uh, attire. minister's attire. So they're very surprised in, I mean, on seeing the scene and they find that, so they, immediately they run into their city. And they tell their chieftain that there's something like this. They saw a scene like this. So that is when he comes and enters this, you know, beautiful character of Guha. That's how Guha comes into the scene and he comes, he sees Lord Rama, Lakshmana and Sita at the bank and he approaches them.
3: Exactly. Just as Rama completes his ablutions, you know, again, Swami makes a mention there of how uh, Lakshmana goes and prepares a bathing ghat for Sita, right. because this is the forest edge. The riverbanks are all slushy and muddy, and therefore Lakshmana goes a little ahead to a secluded spot where Sita can have privacy and then puts rocks in such a manner so that she, her foot doesn't slip in the slush, and he prepares a bathing ghat where Sita can complete her ablutions. And in fact, the previous night, you know, we spoke of how everyone on the banks of river Tamasa slept soundly, except for one, that is Lakshmana. I think this will be appropriate at this moment to say how Lakshmana, you know, it is dramatized in this manner that, you know, in our Sanatana Dharma, everything is represented by one god Mm -hmm. (laughs) or a goddess. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we have Lakshmi who is a goddess of wealth. We have Saraswati who is a goddess of education. We have Kubera who is the lord of wealth. We have Indra who is the lord of the rains. So like that. So Nidra, Nidra is sleep. So there is a Nidra Devi. It is said that there is a goddess who is in charge of sleep. And it is in her embrace that we sleep every night. And she is the one who refreshes us. See that is a beautiful way the Sanatana Dharma brings out everything as a blessing from God. The refreshing that we feel after we sleep and get up is a blessing of God on us. And that is the blessing of Nidra Devi. So the legend goes that as Nidra Devi approaches Lakshmana, he tells, Mother, keep away from me. For the next 14 years, I will not be in the embrace of anything else other than that of Seva of my Lord Rama. In fact, you know, we have seen how his wife has told him to forget even about her and Lakshmana has even forgotten. She says, when I am not having a place in my mind or in my heart for a thought of Urmila Devi, Where can I think of Nidra Devi? So, he says, Nidra Devi, don't come near me. And that is how it is said that throughout the 14 years of exile, where Rama, Sita and Lakshmana went through, Lakshmana did not sleep a wink because Nidra Devi had been told to keep away. I am reminded, Swami mentions how during the coronation, apparently, Mm -hmm. you know, when the coronation of Rama was happening towards the end, Lakshmana gets a yawn. Uh, He yawns. And after he yawns, apparently he starts laughing loudly. And everybody in the court wonders what is happening. And the secret is revealed that Lakshmana had told Nidra Devi that you better not come near me for 14 years. And just as the 14 years concludes, when the grandest event of his life is happening, that is Rama and Sita being coronated and on a grand imperial throne in a royal darbar, at that moment Lakshmana is feeling sleepy and he is not able to contain himself from laughing at this paradoxical situation. So that is a legend that goes, but that shows how devoted and full of service Lakshmana was.
1: We have spoken about this before, apart from the story part of it and apart from all of them being characters. There is also this thing of, we see that, you know, the belief that Ramayana happens in each one of us and this is a journey of each individual, Mm. each Mm -hmm. Jivatma. So they would say that, you know, how can you be like Lakshmana? How can you be without sleep for 14 years? It is understood that you are in the service of the Lord, but how do you explain this 14 years of sleeplessness? Mm. And I remember, I think one of the uh, spiritual speakers, he explains what it means when you say that Lakshmana did not sleep for 14 years. Of course, Mm. according to the story, Lakshmana did keep awake for 14 years. But when it comes to interpretation for following in daily life, he says, Lakshmana never slept. He said, when Lakshmana's body required sleep, it was given sleep. When Lakshmana's body required food, it was given food.
4: Hmm. You
1: know, this is a very beautiful uh, interpretation of it. Because when we say, especially when you told about the tamas being that 8 hours, hmm. the problem always comes when you indulge in something. You know, when your body wants more than it requires and you give it that. You know, when you say that 14 years, he just slept what was required. For keeping this body going, give it that much sleep. You know, Other than thinking of you going to sleep, you're saying that I'm giving you sleep. Hmm. When you put it that way, it completely becomes like you're rationing what is required for you. This is the need it will be given to you. And I think that is the way it has to be taken when you're looking at it from the point of view of sadhana. That you don't oversleep. The body asks for more sleep. You don't give it more sleep. This is all is required.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And- extrapolating that it's not only for sleep it's also for food, right. we don't overeat, you know most of us will be guilty of overeating sometime or the other because we fall prey to the desires of the tongue right. I remember Swami saying that when you do the sealing on desires program when it says don't waste food it's not only about the food that you throw from your plate into the dustbin or you leave behind in your plate the food that you overeat is also waste of food because that is food that your body does not need it will not be digested properly, it will be thrown out or it will go and add to body fat, which is all a waste. So even overeating is a waste of food and this is a very subtle angle which we often overlook. So when we practice healing on desires and we say that we don't want to waste food, it's not only about not wasting it but also refraining from overeating. And yeah, coming back to the story, so Guha Guha is a shifton, local chieftain. And he's very, very happy. He's the shifton of the tribals there. And he's very happy because his might have probably been a small district or a small province in the entire kingdom of Ayodhya. And so he's very, very happy and he's surprised. Because you know, news has not yet traveled till here that what has happened, that the coronation has got cancelled. And in fact, that is why Guha is not even aware of who these people are. Right. When he gets to know who they are, he wonders why are they in such clothes. And that is when Rama updates him of all that has happened. Of course, the way Rama updates would be different from how you or me update Prem. You or me would have just said that, you know what, this <laughs> Kaikeyi, this lady, this is what she has done. But Rama just says that it is a command of my father. I have been told and it is for the welfare of everyone. So therefore, in order to uphold my father's word and this, I am, we are all going. It's a beautiful thing that the father has blessed us to visit all The uh, You know, he puts it in a very positive light in that manner. But then Guha is unable to bear it. And uh, when others in Guha's territory, they come to know of it, everybody is feeling bad. And again, Swami reproduces a nice conversation that happens there. There are some who are speaking very ill of Kaikeyi, saying, how could she do this? What a terrible woman she is. At the same time, there are some other wise people, Swami writes, they say that, no, don't speak like that. It is because Kaikeyi did this that today we are able to have the Darshan of Ram, Darshan of Rama in our midst. It is because of that that our eyes are able to feast on this banquet. It's a celebratory time here. Otherwise, where could we have ever dreamt of seeing our Rama? So, instead of cursing Kaikeyi, we should actually, you know, offer our salutations and, you know, blessings, send our wishes for her because it is her act that has enabled us to have this Darshan. So, let us rejoice. I feel So beautiful it is if we are able to take everything in our life in that manner as a blessing from the Lord.
1: Very true. I think, uh, I remember one of my classmates used to say, You know, he was not the brightest in the class. Mm. He would often say that how he struggled through school and all that. And he would often tell this. Mm. (laughs) He said, had I been really good at studies, I would have gone for engineering or medical, I would have missed this. (laughs) So I am grateful for not doing well at school. You Mm. know, of course, I am not saying that to get into Swami's college is any easier. Those of us who have been through it, we know it is not at all an easy thing. The competition is as much as in any premier institute. But he was saying that had I been good, I wouldn't have even thought of, you know, applying for a, a bachelor's in science. Because was, generally, like, a bachelor's
3: in science is considered it's kind of lower as a,
1: than engineering and medicine. I, I would have gone for becoming a doctor. So hmm. he says now, looking back, I'm happy that I was not very interested in academics when I was in school. Hmm. So I think. It's as you said. It's a beautiful example for us all in life that you know everything which is negative will definitely have a positive to it, and we are just not looking at it in the right manner.
3: Correct. Guha now you know sees the opportunity and he prays. He prays to Rama saying, "Rama, you have come to the city. Yes, You've right? come thus far. Why don't you come to the city?" But then Rama again reminds him. He says, see, I am in exile now." it's not as if I am coming out of Ayodhya and then I enter some other city and start making merry it's not like that, I am supposed to be in exile and therefore I can't enter the city and that is when Guha prays, he says then Lord let your eyes just fall upon the city, you know, if your eyes fall on the city, it's more than enough and Rama is touched with his uh, I think he takes him to
1: one of the cliffs or one of the elevated places Hmm. and from there he shows the city and he says, Rama that is our city Mm. And so that, you know, Rama's eyes could at least fall on that city
3: of these uh, fishermen and boatmen. In fact, you know, Swami mentioned that it was Simshapa tree. Simshapa tree. Okay. And that tree, I just checked on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. It's a tree that is revered greatly by the Buddhists. Okay. And it is a variety of redwood tree that's found only in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only, but mainly in India. So it's a, a redwood tree. So it is a huge Simshapa tree to which Rama goes and from there casts his glance on the city. When I read that, I was reminded Prem of, I don't know if it's a philosophy or, just correct me if I'm wrong, but something like Kurma Nyaya. Mm-hmm. You know, there are different Kishoranyayas. There's one Markata Nyaya, right. one Marjara Kishoranyaya. The same, a Marjara Kishoranyaya is a relationship between the devotee and the Lord, where Marjara is a cat. So the devotee is complete in surrender, like the mother cat carries the kitten around, mm-hmm. the Lord carries the devotee around and the devotee needs to worry about nothing. The same teeth of the cat which can actually kill rats will now actually hold the kitten very tenderly. It's like something like Prahalada and Narsimha I feel. you know. right. Narsimha who tore apart Hiranyakashipu was so tender with Prahalada. Then there is a Markata Kishwarnyaya where the little monkey holds on to the mother monkey. So that is another relationship between the devotee and the Lord where the devotee holds on to the Lord. And the Lord has faith in the devotee. You know, the the mother monkey never tries to cling on to the baby because he knows that the baby will not let go. So here, the devotee holds on to the Lord and the Lord has faith in the devotee. In that there is also one more called the Kurma Kishoranyaya, the way a mother tortoise takes care, mother turtle takes care of her little ones. She lays about 50-60 eggs on a beach and she goes off into the ocean. And you know how slow moving these are. As the little turtles hatch, it is said that the mother sits at a distance and keeps looking. And it is said that through her looks, she guides the little turtles into the ocean. And uh, it is said that the avatar often does this. Through his looks, he is able to, you know, guide the devotees onto himself. And that is what we saw, right? It would happen in Kulwant Swami would just sit at one spot and just look. And in fact, Swami has mentioned in the power of Darshan that anything that my eyes fall upon are transmuted and transformed. That was Kurma Kishor, and Nyaya that we would see. And that is what I felt happened here also as Rama stood at a high spot and cast his glance over this whole region ruled by Guha.
1: And uh, that is how he refuses the hospitality in the city. And we would see that even in future, even as, you know, that... Vanvasa progresses and when he meets Sugriva and later Vibhishna how he refuses to step into the city completely mm. you know I think this is what is self-discipline <laughs> <laughs> you know even when you are not bound under anybody to follow these things but he decides that this is what I am going to follow when I am following the word of my father and he sticks to it till the very end so he refuses to go into the city now they have to stay for that night so now Gohas makes arrangements for them to stay you know, at the banks of Ganga itself. And that's when, again, he notices that after preparing the bed for Mother Sita and Rama, Lakshmana sits at the feet of Rama and starts massaging his feet Hmm. till he goes to sleep. And again, you know, the way beautifully Swami says that Rama has not fallen asleep, but he feels that if he doesn't pretend as though he has fallen asleep, then Lakshmana will continue to sit there and pressing his feet. Hmm. So Rama pretends to go to sleep. And Lakshmana thinks that if I keep pressing his feet now, I might disturb his sleep. Hmm. So then Lakshmana gets up and Swami says that he sits in one corner where Mother Sita and uh, Rama are asleep. He goes and sits in one corner and Swami says in a hero's pose Hmm. and starts casting his glance in all the four directions and, you know, sitting in vigil and ensuring that nothing happens.
3: And this is the time at which, you know, he's joined by Guha. Right. One can picture this scene, Rama pretending to be asleep. Asleep so that Lakshmana can relax. But Lakshmana not letting go of his vigil so that Rama can have a sound sleep. It's so beautiful where it's almost like each is living for the other. At that point in time, Guha comes in and he sits and he starts talking in whispers with Lakshmana. And you know, he's confiding and he's telling, you know, Lakshmana, Rama is used to the most great comforts. He's sleeping on silk and soft pillows, soft beds and now, you know, he sleeping on such a kind of grass pillow and grass bed. What about Mother Sita? She is such, you know, a dainty princess who is as tender as a rose bud. And now she is sleeping in such a condition. His heart pains and aches in agony, and that agony gets transformed into anger towards Kaikeyi, and he also starts lashing out. Guha also lashes out, speaking of how cruel Kaikeyi is and how she is a big black mark on the whole kingdom of Ayodhya. And that is when, you know, surprisingly, because Lakshmanam, we often know him as quick trigger temper. But Lakshmana offers great words of wisdom and words of solace to Guha. He tells him, Oh Shifton, you know, one does not get happiness or sorrow through others. What happiness one has is one's own. What sorrow one has is one's own. And that is what Rama is showing, you know. Rama never was jubilant about him being crowned as the crown prince. At the same time, Rama is not miserable at what you consider as his plight today. Then, you know, uh, Lakshmana goes on to speak about destiny. He says, each one comes for some purpose, urged by the potentiality of his acts, in a previous birth, or some other older birth, definitely due to sovereign will and resolution. So, it's divine will that all this is happening. When you go to sleep, you might be a beggar, or you might be a king, but that doesn't affect you when you wake up, because you know that is mithya, it is illusory. That is exactly what brother is teaching, that this whole thing is mithya. It doesn't matter whether you are sitting as a crown prince there or sleeping here as a mendicant. So, you know, it is a beautiful satsang that the king of Nishadas, Guha and Lakshmana have at the lotus feet of the lord. A beautiful satsang to spend the night and that is how the night passes and next day morning Lord Sri Rama wakes up and apparently, you know, he acts as if he is well-rested and he stretches his arms and the next day has begun. You
1: know, just going back to that uh, scene of Lakshmana and Guha, one thing which strikes is, I think this is again a lesson. Mm. You know, Lakshmana himself has not reconciled with the fact that Lord Rama has, has to go on in exile. But in explaining to Guha, he is actually explaining to himself some of these things he might not have explained to himself and that's why he is angry. Hmm. I think this also happens to all of us, you know, when we are going through problems. But when we are in a situation where we have to console or explain to somebody else to take their problems in the right stride, I think that's when we actually end up giving a lot of consolation to ourselves.
3: Because, (laughs) you know, as you rightly said, Prem, the next day morning, as soon as he wakes up before his ablutions, Rama apparently asks for the juice of the ficus tree. Right. I think ficus is the fig tree. And when the juice is brought, he applies the juice liberally over to his hair and that is when he mats his hair. Because when you are in the jungle, when you are in the forest, you live with matted hair, you don't have time to take care of your hair, you know. <laughs> so, he mats his hair and seeing Rama matting his hair, something breaks from within Lakshmana and he went out. It's unbelievable if you read the <laughs> Ramkatarasavaini that it's not even like previous mm-hmm. night, because when you read Rasavahini you'll feel, Lakshmana three paragraphs before you were, <laughs> you know, giving, giving words of wisdom. Away. What happened? Because Lakshmana says, Rama, I can't see this anymore. You know, this is horrible. This is terrible. This is a wretched thing and you know, Lakshmana gets into anger, fits of anger against uh, Kaikeyi and again it is Rama who has to calm him down. So, I think what you say is, really holds good that we are very good at giving wisdom And when we are in need of wisdom, we need others. That is why, you know, it is so important that as people, you know, we live together as the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Our mother Sai is there. Motherhood of God or fatherhood of God as we wish to take it. We should all live united. We should, each one of us, live for the other. Because like Lakshmana, we too are able to give consolation when others need it. But when we ourselves need it, our own wisdom doesn't help us. We need support from the others. And therefore, each one of us should strive to live for each other.
1: And one more thing probably one could do is I've seen this working well personally and with others who have tried it out. When you're in a situation, talk to yourself like you're talking to a third person. Talk to yourself like you're talking to somebody, your friend who is in problem and trying to console him. I think the clarity which comes out is sometimes surprising even to you.
3: And that also, you know, in a subtle manner reinforces that I am not this body. Right. Because I am talking to it as a third person. Just as you said, Lakshmana did not sleep, but he gave his body the amount of sleep it was needed. Right. So it helps us in identifying with who we truly are. So dear listeners, the time in our studios has just flown by. And it is time for Prem and me to take leave. As always, we offer our grateful salutations to Hanuman, who is sitting by our side always and guiding when the sweet nectar story of Lord Rama is related or is described or is gone through. And we offer our grateful prostrations at the lotus feet of our dear Swami. We hope you have enjoyed this Swami. And dear Swami, we know that you communicate and talk to us through all the devotees who write emails to us via the ID listener at radiosci.org. That is how we consider all the feedback, dear listeners. So, you can definitely write to us with your feedback, your comments, your opinions, your thoughts. We would be delighted to go through them next week. Again, we will continue with this beautiful Nectar story. So, you can write to listener at radiosci.org. So, right now we will play a song for you. Till next week, it is Sairam and happy listening from both Prem and myself.
6: Rām Jān Kī
4: Rām
6: Dashrat Rām Jān Kī janakira Dashrat Rām Jān Kī
4: Rām Dashrat
6: Maruti Sevi Tamanu Sivita manobira
4: amrutee
6: seeta si, manobira seetaram shri raghuram Shri Sai
4: Ram,
6: Shri Saira Ram, Padmaburi Shri Saira Ram, Padmaburi Shri Saira Ram, Jayar Jayar Ram, जय
4: जय
6: राम राम
0: You just heard an episode of our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakatara Savahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 5th February 2015. Dear Listener, we hope you liked this program. As always, you can send us your feedback to listener at You could also WhatsApp us your feedback to this number, 9393258258. 258 Thank you and Sairam.